Welcome to a special Tuesday evening slash Wednesday morning, depending upon when you like to listen to your podcast edition of Unexpected Points. I have with me an esteemed guest, a uh, second time guest on the program, Sam Schwartzstein. Sam is, what, do you, what should I call you? The analytics and stats guru for the prime video football contest on Thursday. What, what, what's your official title over there? Uh, analytics expert is what I, I've been told to say. Analytics expert. Are you certified? Um, board certified. Board certified. That's board certified is having, is having dinner with you and Eric Eager at a Sloan conference. That's how you get board certified. Okay. I thought maybe the board certification was going to be like one of those uh, pregame panels where they have like four ex-football players sit around and then you you tell them what what the analytics say and they're like thumbs up or thumbs or thumbs down at the end. That would be a good board. That would be a good like model replacement I think during the game. Yeah, yeah, the uh, the pull the the bar for the um, that's what the Dean Blandini should say about everyone at the bar has to understand or get the call the right way and that's just that doing that but with analytics of, of football players judging nerds. I think that works. That, I think that should work. Well, we'll talk about what you're doing there, these thoughts on how to communicate things, some of the freedom that you guys have for different types of broadcasts and other things that you're doing, which I think everyone seems to be enjoying. You know, when there's a touchdown, it's also enjoyable on, on, on Thursday night. So we'll, we'll, we'll get to all of that. But we'll also take on a very, you know, simple task after that which is um, I've had enough of this parody nonsense in the NFL, and we're going to fix NFL offenses and get these dominant offenses back into the NFL. So we'll take on that minor task later, even later in the broadcast. But let's start first with discussing maybe some of the news of what's going on, what we saw on Monday night, since I didn't have a chance to review the Monday night football game. Are you allowed to watch a competitor's broadcast on Monday night? It's not only allowed, but it's encouraged. It, it is, really it is. is encouraged. They, they really in my SOW it says I have to watch all the football. So yeah, it's okay. My okay, so let me let me. Am I crazy in thinking like I don't understand the the Bailey Zappy thing? Okay, like I get it. They won games with him. I mean, those games also include like shutting out the Detroit Lions um, and giving up fifteen points in the next matchup there he played fine everything else there like why what what's going on here what what am i not seeing do you have any insight into what's going on in boston that they're just ready to toss mac jones aside when i thought he had a pretty good rookie year as a first round draft pick they went to the playoffs last year is that just not good enough in new england you know i don't know i think they're doing everything differently i think they like to do things differently they have one of the smaller coaching staffs uh in the nfl they have matt patricia as their offensive coordinator right now and we no one even knew who was going to be offensive coordinator going into the season so i wouldn't say you know that they're doing anything conventional over there in foxborough um i think i think from my understanding like you pointed out like if your defense uh, pitches a shutout you're going to do good on off you have a chance a really high chance to win um definitely not lose right if the other team doesn't score points and so uh I, I think what they're trying to do is trying to find the right field, but I think the crowd reaction to Bailey Zappi has to go back to what Tom Brady did taking over for Drew Bledsoe, right? Like, I think they were kind of buying into all of that. But then when you watch those first two drives, like, Mac Jones looks good for a, a high ankle sprain. I had a high ankle sprain. It's typically a six-week injury. And Mac Jones is moving pretty good for four weeks. So it's, it's, it's interesting to see – how crazy the crowd got last night for Bailey Zappi, how everyone was buying in 
to it. And I think it's more of the story than the actual production. Yeah, yeah. It was a little bit weird because after the fact, okay, so before the fact it was leaked that there was going to be some sort of rotation. Um, Rappaport, uh, Schefter, all the, everyone was on it. Uh, but this is pretty close, pretty tight to the vest. It seemed like Belichick was keeping this because then after the game, or it had, okay, well, maybe we'll go the whole sequence. So that's leaked. Jones, you know, has some bad drives, interception. Uh, Zappy comes in, two touchdown drives in a row. All of a sudden, you know, receivers decided to be wide open, <laughs> at least on some of, on some of the passes. The, uh, how come you call the good plays for him? Right. People are trying to make this point as if they're running two different offenses, like a play action, heavy offense. I don't know if that's the case. I think it might just be circumstance. Like you could run a play action, heavy offense when you're, when you're up by a bunch in those other games. So, so, so that happens. They don't go back to Mac Jones, despite the fact that they said that the plan in the second half was to rotate again. I think their hands were tied in that. Like you couldn't bring Mac Jones back in, um the crowd you like you can't bring him in the crowd's booing and stuff like that for for him coming in so i think their hands were tied there but it seemed like after the game at least according to some quotes from other players they said it was well communicated to everyone but some players had no idea what was going on afterwards here so like what was it because you mentioned mac jones moving well like he was healthy enough to play and the way the nfl works at quarterback if you're healthy, healthy enough to play if you're the starting quarterback you play there's no rotation there's no anything else here is Belichick actually trial ballooning a change at quarterback? It looks like he is. I, I mean, like, you know, like, and, you know, he's Bill Belichick and I'm Sam Schwarzing, but it, he, it looks from the outside in, it looks like he's trying to put in a new quarterback based on what we saw from Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi. Cause Mac yeah. Jones, like you said, he's healthy enough. He converts third downs with his legs. He didn't look like he had any push off issue. He wasn't wincing on the sideline. He wasn't going back and getting extra treatment all the signs that show that your guy is not healthy, he wasn't doing that. And so it looks like he's, is, like you said, trial ballooning teams. And, you know, like, you know, a lot of people will look at this like, oh, maybe we have a certain amount of money invested in the quarterback position when a certain amount of output, right? When, you know, Tony Romo goes down and Dak Prescott goes in, they're, they're not really getting any cap savings from that because they had so much money already allocated in Tony Romo. But maybe they're just like, we don't really care who plays. We just know that we have a certain cap amount a first round quarterback and we don't, we just want the first round quarterback output. And if they think that's from Bailey Zappi, more power to him. Yeah. Yeah. Now, and so another issue that came in here, which I thought was interesting is I've seen some people make the point that if you're looking at them and how they played this year, unless you're leaning towards Mac Jones's first round pedigree, there isn't another argument for Jones over Zappi based upon that. But then I'm saying, well, what about like the, full season that he played last year and looked pretty good why is it that that doesn't seem to factor am i am i the only one who thought that that he looked pretty good last year uh because it seems like that's not factoring it also yeah i think that's a that's a big piece of it i think josh Virginia's leaving and there there might be a favorability between one coordinator and a certain player versus another right mm. it's it's it's, ha- it's happened in different places like if, if the coordinator just changes and he likes the guy more um, yeah. Colin Kaepernick being used in, in the 49ers versus Alex Smith, right? They had a you know big contract with him. He had been re-upped for the Niners. It wasn't that that staff that did it, but they wanted to run more pistol. They wanted to run, run more stuff that Greg Roman's now running with the Ravens, and that's why they went that way, right? So, you know, he, Alex Smith got in the NFC Championship and they move on. Something similar here could be going on here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it'll be really interesting to see what happens because Belichick is already not – 
No, he's, he's like, I'm not participating in hypothetical when people was asked about, like, if Mac Jones is healthy enough to play, which, like, he is, right? Like, I don't think there's any indication that he's not at least healthy enough to play as he was last week, whether he'll start him or not. So I don't know, because it almost feels like at this point, you kind of have to turn back to Mac Jones. But if you wanted to make this change, maybe you don't turn back to Mac Jones. It's really what, what do, do you have any opinion on what he will or should do? Um. My opinion doesn't matter for Bill Belichick, right? It's the six Super Bowl rings. That it matters matter for him, though. It matters. For okay, him. yeah, I, I, I say, you, I say, um, you, you, you move on because you're, you're, you've 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 ruined the kind of locker room mentality, and that that matters, right? There's no analytic for locker room mentality, but I still believe in it, um, mm-hmm. having been in a locker room, and guys are going to want to have to go over and trust one guy going in there, and. The reason, the issue with the the backup quarterback coming out when the, when the guy's healthy, if you just keep letting them the backup quarterback ultimately lose that game and keep going that way, then you can have the redemption story. the The big dogs come back, right? We see that with Dallas and Dak Prescott coming back from Cooper Rush. They lost that game, and now he gets to come back, right? Well, they're also paying Dak like fifty million dollars a year, so I think that's that's part of no, it. No, that's yeah. that's definitely helpful. Um, but I think I think with Mac Jones, you know, he's got the first round grade. He took all first team reps. He's you know he's the guy. He's got the C on his chest. Like now, you've now given this piece to where there's going to be a court of public opinion. The locker room could be split. I don't know how their locker room works, but that's why it's hard to move on from these first round guys when you have a guy. And the first round pick supposed to be the guy. It's hard. It's hard, and if you're getting similar production out of both of them, and you you should you can't bring in the uh, the young guy without understanding what it's going to do to the locker room. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do think like it wasn't a great ending to that game. So was that enough to quell people in the crowd, or you know, in the coaching staff, or or, or fans of Zappy? I don't know, but maybe you're right. Maybe another start um, is almost a necessity to give him enough rope to either prove he's good or, or hang himself basically, and then allow a window for Jones to come back in without having to have all this rumbling around it. Right. Like with Dak and Dallas, he, ne- he just never relinquished. Right. He yeah. just kept playing so good. And there was never a need to be like, you know what? We'll bring Tony back next year. Right. That, yeah. that that's how you have to approach it. In my opinion, if you're doing the backup quarterback thing, doing the, Will they, won't they, right? That, that only works in rom-coms. It's not going to work in football. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess there was – I mean, there's some precedent maybe if you go all the way back to – like this is not quite the same situation, but like Montana, Young, there was some going back and forth and some other things that were happening there. But, yeah, um, it's interesting. I guess I would just be okay with going back to Mac already, but I can see how it could turn out poorly. And this like intensity of pressure – around every single snap, every single throw, um, an inability to push the ball into certain zones because you're afraid of an interception, which is the one most visible thing, even if you're, you know, even if you're doing what you're trying, what you're supposed to be doing on a particular play, um, the one thing that can, that can push it down that direction. So I think I get it. I think I get it from that perspective. Do you think like this Justin, so Justin Fields thoughts coming out of this game is, you know, island game. Anything that happens in an island game, nothing matters what happened before before this point. So Fields had the Vikings game; he was okay. The rest of the season, he's been he's been kind of poop, quite honestly. And then he was he was good in this game. What do you have any feelings around Fields and like the fact that they're actually rushing him 
is seems one of these obvious like duh sort of situations. So is this like a coach coaching finally coming around to that? Or I wonder how much and you again, give me that give me that locker room knowledge that you have here. This knowledge, this intimate knowledge that you have of all these players here. I wonder if a lot of these quarterbacks just don't want to do it. And then they eventually have to be convinced to run the ball more because they're like, I'm a great quarterback throwing the ball. I don't want to be like a glorified, um, you know, running back who throws every now and again. Yeah, I think that uh, it's all about positioning. And the offensive coordinator, the thing that you'll hear from me talk most about, the offensive coordinator might be one of the, the second most important person on the football team after the, uh, after the quarterback, right? Because the quarterback, especially the young guys, can only run the play called by the quarter, uh, coordinator, right? And as yeah. you're trying to get your footing, the way the, the salaries work is you honestly shouldn't care what you do um, other than win football games, because winning football games is what gets you paid, yeah. right? Throwing for a bunch of yards doesn't even get you paid, right? You win the football games, then you get the same contract, and then your family's fine forever. And that's what the, I believe a lot of these quarterbacks are thinking. And I think Justin Fields just wants to win football games. And from his attitude post-game, he's got to play better. And whatever it is to take, get better. What is a bit nice about what they did is they had designed QB runs, because when we were prepping for their game, they'd run about nine QB runs, and they were pretty much all the same zone reads but long zone reads getting to the edge and it looked like they were protecting him from going inside and taking on the bigger bodies that are inside but they had multiple different types of plays not just not just zone plays but pin and pull plays that got then designed runs for Justin Fields they had a different goal line plan right and so you know this is a a math or analytics podcast let's go math you get plus one blockers if you run the quarterback on the goal line um, especially if you're not just doing QB sneak and so all those things now help val- help that quarterback get in that rhythm, get ahead, which is what he needs to play with, so that he's not pressing. Because that's part of his problem too. Is when he's behind, he's pressing, he's rushing throws, he's he's questioning his throws, and so that's what you need to get him do is get him in a rhythm. And running the ball seems to help him do that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what have they done so far this season? I mean, Fields had run a lot or a decent amount. So going into this game through six weeks, he had fifty six carries. So you know, in the neighborhood of ten a game, not. Not insignificant, but of those carries, uh, 35 of those were scrambles. So way more than half of them were scrambles. Whereas in this game, 14 attempts, the most attempts he had had all season long, only two scrambles. So 12 like designed rushing attempts in this game. It was definitely a flip from what we had seen before that they were doing. And yeah, I just don't get why more teams aren't doing this. We're seeing with Daniel Jones now too, right? That he's been unlocked somewhat I mean I guess from the quarterback's perspective and maybe like Lamar Jackson not getting this second contract yet who knows how much of that is on him you know trying to negotiate towards this holy grail of an all guaranteed deal where no one wants to give that up all their stuff I mean maybe there is a, a a concern that you're putting yourself in a bucket that is replaceable or more replaceable in a way if you're saying I'm the rushing quarterback you can find that type of guy more easily than you can find the pocket passer even if you are putting yourself in a position where you're gonna be winning more games yeah so in 2008 um I just we had discussed this in like our football locker room with our coach who had just come from the Atlanta Falcons um with Vic and the idea around the league was it'll have to move to a two quarterback system because of the injury risk from mm-hmm. from running the quarterback that was the idea. And so at the time, I think Armani Edwards was the App State quarterback. And it's like, go get Armani Edwards and Pat White. You'll get them both in the fifth round or third round, whatever. And then you have no money allocated a spot. You don't care if one of them gets hurt. I actually kind of like know? this. This just reminds me, there was an old theory by this guy who used to run this uh, fantasy website called uh, 
Rotoviz. He called it YOLO QB, and it was almost exactly the same. It was like draft multiple cheap guys, and then you can run them and not care if they get injured. Right, and, and, that, and that was the thought process. Well, I think Ben Solak did a great study on it, and then there was a bunch of uh, work on like running the quarterback and how a quarterback can actually protect themselves on design QB runs versus not. But the ownership around the league is what stops – running quarterbacks from being part of it because they is that assumed risk you cannot get hit if you uh, or you you likely can get hit if you run the ball you cannot get hit when you pass the ball or run the run or hand the ball off there's a lot of different things that a quarterback can do to protect themselves and that's the ownership that is putting that there you have to then you know commit to the ownership hey we're going to put this guy in the right spot with the rookie salary cap you know, you can now run the quarterback because you can just draft guys every year, right? Yeah. Um, but then what happens is you have the very rare guys like Lamar Jackson who can really sling it, right? And you don't want him to get hurt. There's the guys like, you know, um, it's, it's not like you're going out and getting Taysom Hill and Tim Tebow. Those are a little bit different guys than Lamar Jackson um, when he's throwing the ball, right? And so Lamar's more of that pure quarterback. But who's to say that coordinators don't do it? And, you know, we're, you know, talk about offenses being down. Doing something different is the best thing you can do when attacking defenses nowadays. Trying yeah, to be yeah, your maybe, own yeah, maybe person. Maybe I'm, I'm like emptying the holster a little bit for some points yeah. that I want to discuss as part of that discussion. Yeah. So let's okay, let, let, let's table some of this this discussion here. And before we get into the uh, the stuff about fixing offenses, I want to talk about you and what's going on at Prime Prime Video. Your position there. Describe to me. Give me like the. I don't know if it's an elevator pitch, but give me give me a short description on what you're doing at at Prime Video. Yeah, specifically, I'm helping integrate analytics um, and the insights that come out of analytics into the broadcast, right? And so, you know, we have the Prime Vision broadcast is my main focus um, with next gen stats powered by AWS to kind of give a unique look to fans. So we're super serving fans on that broadcast, trying to give you the all twenty two high angle. We're giving you high sky angle and short yardage situations to better see the offensive line play. We're giving you on-screen graphics with second spectrum, as well as the, in our L bar, giving you more data to help you understand the more specifics and go deeper into an understanding of, of the game. So whether you're a hardcore football guy who's a film junkie, wants that all 22 camera angle, or if you want more analytics to help you understand the game a little bit better and get more nuance in the game, you come to prime vision and you'll get to see that. So, that's my main focus. And then helping under, helping everyone in the group um, in production understand analytics and how it can better serve fans and what is that doing, how are teams using analytics, right? One of my main jobs is talking to teams and talking uh, to their analytics staff and getting to understand about how analytics is integrated into their team. And so that way we can be better at telling those stories ultimately on air at some point. Okay. I have a lot, a lot of follow-ups to that. Let, let's start with some of the nitty gritty on the, um, on the alternate broadcast. I've always thought that alternate broadcasts were a very interesting idea, although my my concern, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say concern, but what I would assume is the people who are kind of like in charge of the purse strings when it comes to all these different things, they're going to want to see numbers of people there. And I think sometimes, you know, nerds like us, whether it's even not just football nerds, but like film nerds, other things, we see this and we say, oh, this is great. Like you can see all the players on the field. You can do all this, this. but your average fan who's unrepresented in the spaces that we talk about these things, right? Like they, they don't, they don't want to see it. It's like, ah, ah, confusing too much, too much going on here. So what have you noticed as far as the pickup to this? And is it something where like, is the juice worth the squeeze when it comes to doing these certain things? 
are we going to move in that direction? Or do you think the traditional broadcast is probably going to, you know, experiment with these sort of stuff, but we're not really going to see it become a staple of what, you know, at least for Island games, people are watching. Yeah. I think Amazon has a mantra about working backwards and we're, we're talking to fans and that's talking to the fans, talking to viewers, seeing what they like, seeing what our customers are enjoying and then seeing how the best things from that and how do we integrate that other places. Um, and I think, you know, kind of taking those, those Amazonian mindsets and applying it to this process, it gives us a unique uh, advantage to help give fans exactly what they want. And, you know, fans have loved it so far, loved Prime Vision. Um, you've seen, if you watch every single week, you'll see it looks a little bit different each week. And that's because we're refining it, we're honing what, we, what, what works and what doesn't work. And we're looking to the future, right? We're talking to people, talking to super users of the platform and trying to see what makes them tick, what makes them like it. Because that's where we start at Amazon is starting with the customer um, and being able to then work backwards to integrate that all into. So we're solving customer problems. And we think right now in Prime Vision is a good spot, but it can always get better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting because for like a normal broadcast, you have a pretty captive audience anyway. Like, and there's a certain threshold. I mean, network television pretty much everyone has access to it. You can go and get like a, like a $15 digital antenna and have access to that. ESPN is pretty ubiquitous in like sports loving sort of households. Um, now having access to prime video is going to be on a little bit of a lower level. So there is more incentive, I would say to offer things that are going to get people to go over the hump and rather than them say, you know, maybe I can skip Thursday night, football this this season if i don't have prime video in the first place yeah and i think a lot of people one of the best feedback we've here heard is when people miss the prime vision broadcast on other networks or yes. if we've ruined like friends have told me oh you've ruined watching football for me because i i just i want what you have all the time right i think yeah. that's good we're making the football ecosystem better um and i think that and that's ultimately what we're trying to do is make smarter football fans uh, and make football like the the visualization the way people consume football better. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now let's let's get to the second part of what you were talking about because I find this extremely interesting about like the background work that you're doing, talking to analytics staffs there, how to communicate that sort of uh, stuff via the broadcast. I know we are only a little bit into the season here. Well, you know, a third of the way into the season at this point. You've talked to a bunch of different staffs here. What's the what, what's the level that, that you're getting? Are you surprised by the like the the high floor maybe for what these teams have as far as their fluency and ability to go through these things? As you understand, like you're a pretty well versed guy, at least from a from a high level macro level in these things. Are are you seeing a vast differences between different teams without naming names, of course, um, or is this something that? you know, everyone's so tight lipped that it's really hard to figure out exactly what's going on. I'd say all the above. Um, yeah. and, and I think what's been really cool is every team's got some sort of integration with analytics. Um, that's been, that's been positive, right? There's some ground level um, things. The next thing is every team houses analytics in a different part of their departments. Right. And anyone who's worked in an organization knows where you house your tech recruiting staff, whether it's in under HR, it's under the CTO, you know, that changes how you recruit, right? And how you house your analytics staff will be different how you use it. If you house them under player personnel, it'll be often used on scouting and possibly less in-game. If it's more analytics staff is in your sports science, your talent development, your health and safety, 
will be better and it might not be used in-game or in talent acquisition. And so every team's been different there. They've all had somebody. They're all called something different in a lot of spots, and their staffs are different. Um, that's been interesting. I think what's what's great is, again, and everyone's tight-lipped, right? Um, you know, and it's been some, – some teams you get less out of, some teams you get more out of. But ultimately, these people are protected um, by staffs. And, you know, when you hear a coach go out there and say, well, analytics told me – that they're not saying the analytics team – they're not people aren't getting fired over decisions that they're making because they are protected people on these stats because they know they're doing unique work. Um, and that, that is also something very in, in good to see because it's in football world. Uh, every, if you've worked in football long enough, you've been fired. There's very few people that have gone through working in football. Bill Belichick, who we talked a lot at length about, he's been fired. Right. And so uh, they moved on from Tom Brady. So everyone's been fired. Um, and so, these people, they're not, it's not a life and death situation with them. They're definitely working hard. And they're some of the most interesting, exciting people that, and I feel fortunate to get to talk to a lot of them. Now, do you have any, you have any idea of not only the subject matter, but what, what, what I've thought about this a lot is from the standpoint of like influence, your, your subject matter, definitely. If you're in the personnel, you're in the person, you know, there's something, but like having someone and now there's developed in a couple of different places. I can think of um, in Baltimore, they have Daniel Stern there. And now for the Jaguars, friend of the pod, Brian Paganetti is like coaching, but they're also guys who have had areas in analytics to get on the more on, on the coaching side of things there. Do you get any indication of like the influence question? That's what I would be interested in. Even when you're talking to these staffs, they may have great lots of ideas, but as far as how it's actually affecting what we're seeing on the field is, you know, who, who knows what's, what, what degree it is. Yeah. And I think that's up to each individual on how they sell themselves um, to their, to their staffs. Right. And is it, Hey, I've got these great metrics um, versus I'm going to make your job easier. And then I'm going to show you these great metrics. Right. And, and I think, Analytics, it's uh, 95% of your job is sales because you're selling people on something new. You're changing the definition of sales is uh, what you're doing now is not as good as what I can offer you. And that's what analytics people are doing right now. We are in the early stage. It's, it's not in a post-moneyball baseball world where everyone's running the same shifts and everyone's scouting the same way. Uh, this is a, uh, a very early – and this is the high-level analytics. It's taking non-football people to doing this because analytics has been used in football forever, getting probabilities on what fronts you'll see in certain situations. So this is that high-level analytics and taking non-football people into that football world. And like Ryan does with you know having a football background, integrating that way, that probably gives him a leg up in the coaching staff area, but he might have a different relationship with Trent Baalke. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, just because he's an analytics person versus if you were an analytics um, specialist and you're able to work across, you're now selling to different people in your, your house. You can now work with all departments. So every every analytics person has to find what their niche is and how they can then sell themselves into the staff and really break through and find advocates, find find people that will then push you into those avenues to make sure you have decision making power. OK. OK. So how from what you're learning here and what you know just generally about how these decisions are made. How are you either successfully or maybe even some points, I don't know if you want to talk about unsuccessfully, influencing the broadcast itself? Because I was actually talking on a different podcast earlier today about how we, like, we need someone, the, 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 the host of the podcast was saying, we need someone like on these panels with the different players to push back. But you know, it all ends up becoming like pro wrestling sort of thing. And you can't really get into these sort of things. I think like it starts for me with the broadcast. And if 
the announcer can communicate something that's not the analytics said must say go for it and then everyone's like ah why is that like they can communicate a little bit more intelligently get some context around it talk about some of maybe the 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 levers that that are affecting this decision then we could have better discussions after the fact too because everyone's hearing that and maybe it's influenced anyone so how are you looking at this and and how do you want to be different than the normal broadcast i think my team's focus is trying to give the fan an understanding of what the coach is going through, right? How much mm-hmm. time it takes for the coach to get that decision. How are they thinking about it? How does this team think about it? So it's not a analytics says go, right? I think it's that coach needs to understand from analytically what, what decision would make him the best or would help make him the best decision. Try and help define from a model perspective. And this is going to, it's hard because it's a machine learning model. It's not, you know, it's, it's opaque. A, like you don't really it's know opaque. a lot. Yeah. You don't know, but you know, like if, if there's no timeouts left and there's 40 seconds left on the clock. Wait, so here's a situation we had earlier pre at one fifty seven left. It, it was a go for it fourth and uh, one for the uh, chargers against the Browns. 9% go by time they kicked. It was a one, uh, 1.2% punt situation. Mm-hmm. 40 mm-hmm. seconds ran off the clock. It was actually 1.7 yards and not one yards. And so we want to give the fan what the coach is understanding, right? He's not looking necessarily at the score, but he might be looking down at the ball on the field. He now knows what place he has. And likely time on clock was the largest driver to make that decision. And that's what he needs to know, right? And that's what the fans need to know, right? It's, it is an opaque version. You don't want to go all deep into all the analytics. And again, it is a machine learning model. We can only interpret a lot of what these things do. Um, and so, and that was, again, that was the next gen stats model powered by AWS that had that. So I just want to make sure all these models are different. You know, they're all directionally similar, but all, they're all, all different. And so, um, uh, I think that's where we want to make sure that fans get to understand about what the coach is going through, because it's not enough to just say in hindsight, the decision was to do this because in hindsight, it's always results driven, right? What are they going to have? What's the right decision to make beforehand? And how did the, the model try and get to a certain point that I gave that information to it? And ultimately, how strong was the recommendation? So was this like the analytics was like, yes, you have to go for here. We, we have a really large chance to lose the game. We're putting ourselves in a worse position. Or is it, hey, this is a, a toss-up, however you feel confident um, in going for it based on what play. And that's where, where a guy like Ryan, who's probably got uh, works with the coaching staff, probably knows a little bit more about the play calls that are going into the game to say, this is the time to use X play call. This is the time to be helped situationally driving decisions. Yeah, yeah. Or if you're like Steve Young, you could say we have a 95% play, and uh, yeah, there you go. It will it will work then in, in, in that circumstance. We call so here's those automatics, thing. automatics. Yeah, yeah, the automatic plays. And uh, I mean, what was funny about this? Uh, I mentioned this on the other Steve Young on this thing with the 95% play, but then also don't run it at your 20. It's like, hey, if I had a 95% play, man, I'm running that on my own uh, 10 yard line. Um, okay, so, but so here's another thing that I think is really really difficult when it comes to communicating. Uh, these these models that are going on here, which are kind of it's kind of t- taking over the discourse a little bit here, is that all the discourse is around the conversion probability because it's something that we can like wrap our heads around. Whenever when you know that Larry Fitzgerald on the broadcast was saying that you know it doesn't have um, you know the wind factor isn't enough or the rain going sideways or all these different things like there's a, you could go on forever with, with with what it does or does not have right. And I think that's true. I think they're right, actually, in this. Like, it doesn't have everything in there. But, like, the real revolution 
in analytics is the win probability side of it is being able to say what the win probability is currently, what it would be if you converted, what it wouldn't be, what it would be if you failed, because like a conversion probability, you don't need models to do this. You could just say, we have a top 10 offense. How often does a top 10 offense convert a third or fourth and two? And then we'll just use that for our assumption and make a few adjustments on it. For these win probability things, it's taking in so many different factors so early, early in the game. And again, the results are so opaque in figuring out how you're getting a result. That's really what was become the revolution is it's opened up the possibilities where it's not just a coach who can understand we have 40 seconds left in the game. I'm down by so much. You can start to do that stuff in your brain. When you're in the middle of the second quarter on, you know, at a particular yard line, you can't put together all that. So how do you like, that's the part I really have a difficulty communicating because everyone's focused on the reliability of the conversion side, but it's really like, it's really more of a trust me situation when it comes to the reliability of the win probability side. Yeah. And I think win probability um, is a, is a great analytic and we use that a lot in our communication. Like we put it up and we put up win probability, current win probability starting the second half, um, you know, as it's getting more refined and as the pregame win probability decays over time, that influence it has on it. Right. So again, that's the next gen stats, powered by AWS win probability model that we've put up on the screen on our prime vision broadcast that I'm referencing. Um, and that, that, you know, that takes in, like you said, a lot of different factors. I think communicating that is easy to fans because they can understand it. I think there are times where a team can be up six points with 10 minutes left and have a 92% win probability and people get really, how is that happening? Yeah. 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 The win probabilities are way higher than what people think, because if a team executes and wins the game, it's like, oh, that's what they're supposed to do. We don't remember that, but we remember all the times where teams come back. Right, and, 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 and you know, we did a uh, we did a deep dive with uh, uh, Keegan Ab do out of NGS, and you know, ninety nine percent win probabilities happen uh, over ninety nine percent of times, right? So it's like, yeah. you know, it's, it's it's still it's still it's still good. It's still the model still works. There are the outliers and things like that, but you know, there are situations where it might seem difficult to wrap your head around. Okay, why is it happening a certain way? I think helping communicate to fans. Um, that win probability is taken in historical data, 10 years of historical data to calculate similar teams, similar situations, and then taking in what's the likeliest thing that happens, right? Right. And so there's, there's the times of the comebacks that um, Patriots, Falcons come back in the Super Bowl, right? Well, no one intended them to have uh, two incompletions and a sack at a field goal range. That's why a lot of the model changed, right? No one expected Nathaniel Hackett to call a play that would get Shots intercepted. Fired. Shots fired yeah. at uh, Kyle Shanahan here, but yeah, yeah I, I, it's no, the model. The model can't ex- expect all, all those things, and so it's like you know, it's taking with the likely thing to happen. What is the expected thing to happen? Um, and I think that's important for fans to see. Is is it's just giving you kind of a groundwork uh, level of w- what's expected to happen. Okay, so let's, let's. The real important thing is here. How do we get you? on the broadcast because my thing is rules analyst we need an analytics expert person they can just go to doesn't have to sit you know doesn't have to be like you and kirk and you know al going out for a steak dinner the night before and sitting in the booth together and everything else and like buddy buddy but they could at least you know throw you up there you know, you, you could you could like flex a little bit, too, if you need to show them that you got that you got some muscles. You're you're a big dude. You understand this. You understand the trenches um, and then just give a little bit of color around it. I think that would be helpful. Is there been it, well, I, I guess you can't really talk about the internal things here. But what do you think about that idea? 
or are you at liberty to speak about this? I, I, uh, uh, I think we're at liberty to speak. I think what, okay. um, I think what's, what, what Amazon wants to do is put what's ever best for our customers on the broadcast, yes. right? The people that are watching. And if there's a time where we think that there's somebody that needs to come on, help explain a certain situation, I think we'll be ready for that. I think if there's a time when, or if that do- the time doesn't come, or if we think that we're showing things from the Prime Vision broadcast in a unique way that's helping fans understand analytics a little bit differently, I think that'll be helpful. If there's production meetings that I'm doing with the team that help them understand analytics, that's good too. I think it's all in time about how, how can we best serve fans and how do we best give that information out uh, in, in unique ways. And then if, it, if that happens to be a person, that happens to be a person. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that's interesting because I know there's another thing like that I've had discussions about. They say, well, we don't need a rules analyst type of analytics analyst because you can educate. Like it's really the announcers and the clever commentators who should be educated about it. But I don't know. I do feel like it gets a little too into it, look, you know, like look, knowing look, the, gonna... the – there's there's football players don't know every single football rule, right? Yeah. There's yeah, analysts exactly. that don't know every single anal, uh, uh, every rule, and there are times where an, football, rules analysts on TV don't get the same call that the the, the TV has or that that um, New York gets, right? In yeah. review, not every time yeah. is everyone on, on on the same page, right? There's oh yeah, but very often there was who was it? Okay. Poor uh, Mike Carey. It was a Mike Carey. Someone that was on CBS used to. It was like the opposite of what the review would get every single, every single time. And I can't even blame them because a lot of these are, uh, you know, coin flip type of situation. Look, this is a 64 page rule book, right? Yeah. I, Cause my time is growing. Phone, I had to read it growing exponentially and it, changed, and it changes every year. Right. Nothing changes in soccer. That, that rule book has been the same forever until they got VAR in. Right. And yeah. that football changes every year. We have a new way to call pass interference, right? In phase DBs do not get called for pass interference. That is brand new this year, right? There's now coaching influence in the rules um, uh, and uh, officiating groups. Like that, that's different. And so making sure everyone's on the same page and then these models change over time, right? Yeah, exactly. You, you, yeah. You, and so, and so, and there's going to be new analytics that come out every single year. NGS just came out with uh, working with AWS on new coverage models, right? There's all these different things that come out all the time. And so to be up to date, it's why, Football's a great sport is because offensive linemen know things that are different than quarterbacks, than DBs. I don't know the same rules that DBs do. They don't look at the game the same way I do playing center, right? And so that's what's so great is that you have this. And, like, what I like about our um, TNF pregame, pre-half and post group is it's football players from all different dimensions of on the field. You have a tight end. You have a quarterback. You have an offensive lineman. You have a DB. We run the gamut in terms of how what kind of perspectives you can get on the field um, with Richard, with – Fitzpatrick with uh, Tony and with Mwit. Like, I think that's what makes us a little bit unique too. And, you know, just kind of talk about how I, I love our pre half and post show. That's what I'm pretty much saying. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Uh, every, every position group thinks you should establish the run though. Let's, sure. let's, let's be honest there. Let's be honest there. Everyone, everyone's in agreement as, as far as that's, as far as that's concerned. Okay. So now let's, let's get into what the, what we're here for the real purpose that's fixing the, these NFL offenses. So I, I pose this to you. This is something that's come up a lot. I looked at some numbers, and it looks like the efficiency from a dropback perspective, we're about equal to 2009-ish from here. There just are not the high-end outcomes. The largest grouping of quarterbacks right now are not really adding adding expected points at all for what's going on. And outside of Mahomes and Allen, so you still have some high-end guys there. 
Um, there's really not that much else there. I mean, Tua is kind of in the conversation, but again, he hasn't had the most reps this year. There's some other guys like Jalen Hurts who have been who have played well, who but have started to trail there. There just isn't a lot of high end guys there. So, I guess maybe we'll start off with the big picture here: is like, is this actually a problem to be fixed, or should we say? This is good. You know, defense has evolved. They're getting better. The running game has been a little bit more effective this year. Like, is this even bad for the NFL? Yeah. The Adam Smith in me thinks, let's take the hand away and don't intervene right away. Right. The person yeah. who then changed a bunch of football rules of the XFL thinks we have to intervene now. Right. So, yeah. like, uh, it's, I think, I think it's, it is a problem, um, but I think it will fix itself. Um, I think that has to do with the first thing I ever learned from analytics was the most successful thing is to do the on, on, most successful thing on offense is to do the thing the defense is not expecting. Right. That is what I learned early as like say, kid, that's what pass on first down is so efficient. Right. Cause they don't expect you to do it. There's all these things. And now the game's evolved, but that was like the first thing that I really latched onto. And at Stanford, we did that Stanford. We had, different run pass splits we were 75 percent run certain personnel groups pass we were uh 25 uh, but then our play action pass on top of that because everyone was trying to stop the run was beneficial for that so we knew that that's where we were going to get all of our yards even if we ran poorly that's the the concept that we would get on on those those plays because that's where our big plays would come from is to do the unexpected um and i think i think team offenses right now you see a lot of 11 personnel because teams have gone to 11 personnel you've seen a lot of now nickel you see a lot of the same offenses every single week. And so the defenses don't have to prepare differently because they've all come from Shanahan or McVay coaching trees. The teams that are doing well, they have superstar quarterbacks for sure, Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, but those are both projects coming out of college. And who we're working on this week, Thursday Night Football with Lamar Jackson, he was also a project. Josh Allen was the only one who started right away. The other two, they had, they had to take time to get then thrust into the offense. And then the offensive coordinators for all three teams tailored the offense specifically around those quarterbacks. And that's what makes them special is you have guys who can do some really great work, but now you've tailored the entire offense to them. It's not, here's my offense. I'm going to plug you in. We just saw it with Justin Fields. They finally ran a Justin Fields-esque offense, not Justin Fields running an Aaron Rodgers offense. And they had success. So I think that's where teams need to kind of say, look at themselves in the mirror and go, you know, I can't run the same stuff that Sean did. I cannot run the same stuff that Kyle did. I have to be my own person and I have to tailor it to what these quarterbacks do because it's a quarterback driven league. And these quarterbacks are so much of the salary that you have to then push them into making sure they do more efficient stuff. I think we have a lot of talented quarterbacks that aren't being utilized the right way. Yes, I would agree there. Okay. So let's talk ideas. Maybe we'll go back and forth with our, with our different ideas here. Uh, I'll say this is a safe space. So um, if you have an idea that sounds ridiculous, um, stupid, mockable, um, you can share it here. You can share it here. It's okay. We're allowed here. It's kind of like that, uh, you know, the Gandhi quote, they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then, then, then you win. So, you know, some people will laugh at ideas that end up being good. Um, I mean, they also ignore and laugh at the ideas that just suck too. So it's, it's kind of hard just because they're yes. laughing at you is not, it doesn't mean that it's right. Okay. So that, that, that's, that's, that's number one safe space here. As far as that's concerned. Uh, number two is we're open it up. So it could be like a strategic sort of thing. It could be a talent who should look at talent wise sort of thing. It could be a rules sort of thing. If we want to go into that area, it can be in all of these, these different areas. Now, maybe I'll start it off. 
So then, so then, and, and then get your reaction to it. So, but this is going to be an, a fairly easy one because we've talked about this a bit when it comes to Fields and it comes to Jones and it comes to others. And that is bringing the rushing element even more into quarterback play. But it's not just, you know, we start running these, these guys. We have to have like a very purposeful way of, of looking at it. We have to say, what are the situations that are the best to do it? Uh, quarterback draws in particular, I think could be good because you're really trying to take advantage of the fact that now with these defenses, the way that they've reacted, right? They've reacted to what the offenses are doing. They're using more of this too high shells, even more zone coverage. They're, they're playing back. They're kind of allowing teams to run. So by running with the quarterback, you get a kind of a couple different elements. One is design rushes normally on your normal read option things. Uh, you were talking about, but that's like maybe a quarterback draws. I think you don't even need to be necessarily the most athletic person to do that. And it has a pass look to it too. So then you're taking advantage even more of the, of the reaction there, there. And then it's also like a box count sort of issue. You're, you're getting an extra, an extra player uh, there by having the quarterback be, be the person to run the draw versus the box versus the box count, count, um, count elsewhere. And I would also say, the teams can do is like scrambling does not have to be just maybe a quarterback sort of thing. I have no clue how much is talked about for scrambling. Presumably it's not something people are practicing a lot, like when or when not to scramble, what looks to look at for scrambling when you're reading the defense, like let's study scramble at this moment don't just make it the feel of the quarterback don't just make it their experience informing them but really bring it into like the equation to have that be a weapon at all times that defenses have to account for with almost all quarterbacks if it's open enough in certain situations and just emphasize that and by adding that extra element then it's really going to have an effect on how the defense can play with this more of a pass focus uh on the back end yeah, I'll go to your last point. I, I completely agree. One, first of all, I, I, I look again. Football's math, and you go, to, you get to be plus one when you have the running quarterback. Right? They have right. to account for one more defender, and so I'm a huge, I'm a huge proponent to it. It's watching this. You know, I'm, I'm partial to the Ravens' offense because I ran it in college, and so you know, I, I, I love what they do. But to go to your scramble part, scramble drill is often repped every practice, um, but. From my understanding, the rules are relatively the same. I think that the uh, Chiefs and some other teams, I think the Bills, do run it a little bit differently. But the way the scramble drills worked typically was run up the field, give a give an outlet to up the field on the on that same sideline that they're running, and then break back to the ball. Right. Um, this is going to be nerdy, but if you've ever played ultimate frisbee, it's the same as the I stack concept. That's scramble drill in football. So there's always someone breaking away and there's always someone cutting it towards. Yeah. That sorry. I'll do that frisbee. Even that's a little too nerdy for this. For sorry. This you know, this, this, <laughs> this I could have sworn this was a nerd podcast, but. Okay. Um, no, we can only go so far. We don't want to be. But, uh, right. but what, and be, why is that? Because there's always this idea. Don't throw across your body. Right. And so quarterbacks are not throwing across their body in the middle of the field. Cause that's what's dangerous. But you'll see Mahomes do it all the time. He's scrambling to the right. And then there's a, someone sitting down and then reestablish new middle of the field, and they throw across the body. And so depending on who you have a quarterback, when we had more stationary quarterbacks at Stanford, we didn't run it as much. But then when we had a scrambling quarterback, scramble drill became part of, like, our mantra uh, and what we did. So it, it, it depends on who you have playing versus how much you're willing to implement that. 
The hard part is is a, co- a coordinator's not preparing for scramble drill. Every play you want to block effectively, right? Uh, on the on the more designed uh, runs, if you're running a lot of bootlegs, it's a modified scramble drill already. You're getting some quarterback throwing on the move already. Teams have been able to defend the naked bootleg a lot better this past year. Um, as teams are running up more, um, they're giving up on the run on that backside D end, and they're they're chasing that mesh point versus going after the run uh, and trying to stop the run with just your uh, the the rest of the team. So there's different things that teams have done, but I think again uh, approved. I approve this concept of don't be afraid to run the quarterback, especially because that's where the ta- what the talent is doing in college. That's changed a lot. Is is the college quarterback is running more, and you now have more of those players that can come into your league. Yeah, I mean, some of it is instinctual as far as protecting yourself, but I also think there's there might be more you can do with quarterbacks. And again, I, I'm not in the practices, so I don't know what they're doing in kind of teaching them how to protect themselves a little bit better. And if, this is from a rules perspective here. I'm not sold on sliding, okay? Like way too – you leave yourself way too open. You're way too vulnerable to a headshot, and you're way too vulnerable to a – a a hitting the turf with your head afterwards is probably where the majority of the concussions come from on a on a slide. So I guess at the very least, my only idea in that regards, I've seen some quarterbacks do this, and I really like this a lot, is like slide and turn your body at the same time so you're not sitting up to get knocked back. So again, teach quarterbacks things like that. Experiment with how to make yourself a little bit safer on those sorts of plays. Cause I, I don't know how much emphasis is put on this other than like well they they know how to slide and you know you slide the room away and you won't get hit no you're gonna get hit even if you're sliding because it just doesn't work that way so try to figure out another way of kind of like a turn slide or whatever it comes into to protect yourself a little bit better yeah uh, agree i think quarterbacks need to uh, use every tool that they have to protect themselves it's part of winning the game right um is use a slide be better at the slide don't dive forward you know, all these things live to play every play, not to win that one play. I think that's, that's the mindset that all quarterbacks need to have. All right. So you, what do you got for me? Let's, let's, let's fix it. So for my old rules um, world, you know, the best play in football is the pass interference spot foul. Oh, the so James want, Hardenization of the, of the NFL is coming. If you, well, cause it's, it's, and you know, the people I work with here is funny cause I called it manufacturing points, right? Because yeah. the problem with offense is offense has to do something good on every play. You have to complete the snap, the first lateral, and you have to then either pass the ball or hand the ball off effectively. Defense can do nothing and still have a win on a play. It could be a, a quarterback can miss a wide open player and can be incomplete. They can they can get a win. So offense yeah, has I mean, to do something DBs, DBs love celebrating on <laughs> on overthrown open receivers. Then you're still you got like dances going on and stuff afterwards. Yeah. Hey, so, yeah. hey. Offensive line and DBs like the same position. The biggest QB hit on my life was like a 45-yard pass to Zach Ertz. So, you know, yeah, we, yeah I, I wasn't celebrating that, but, uh, you know, yeah. I, wasn't, I wasn't mad about when, that, when Zach bailed me out. Thank you, Kevin Hogan. Um, and so, like, uh, the, I think what the big, the big thing that you can do is it's the only time where an offense can be unsuccessful and have like a 40-plus yard game. Yeah. And I believe um, we're th- there's one less pass interference call per game this year. Mm-hmm. And that, if, if, if that's a spot foul over 15 yards, that's a high likelihood that that drive ends in a touchdown or at least some points. And so if teams, if they wanted to revert the in-phase pass interference call, that's an opportunity to then have 
uh, more uh, our, our higher scoring games. And right. And so the other aspect of what we did was we, uh, for the first four weeks, we only had five total weeks of the XFL, but we threw fewer um, offensive holding calls, right? So how do we not get teams backed up? You throw fewer offensive holding calls and you increase the number of spot foul pass interference calls. And now that helps offenses matriculate down the field, get new sets of downs, but also not have as, as restricted. And I think in 2020, there are about two pass interferences up and two offensive holdings down the first six weeks of the season, which led to more scoring. Yeah, no, I like it. Um, I like it as a part of, okay, so here's the thing. Like the, I mentioned James Harden, right? The, the, the everyone hates his like foul hunting. I would say though, I would differentiate trying to focus on advantageous situations, which could lead to a pass interference. I would differentiate that from something like what James Harden does because, or what he used to do when they would have these things where guys are hand checking and then they would, he would do like he would sweep through with his arms and then draw the foul. Like he knew a hundred percent he was getting the foul on that play. There was not even an intent. Like the primary intent was not the shot that was going to happen. The primary intent was the foul. You can't really do that in the NFL. Even if you're throwing it into situations where you can't, it's very, very hard to say, you know, I'm going to underthrow this receiver. And then therefore a hundred percent of the time I'm going to get a foul. You just don't know if that, you don't know what will end up happening. You're taking risk or things like that. So, but I do think situationally teams could be more aware of where on the field. Can I see how DBs are positioned versus our receivers that it'll be more likely to get a pass interference called than not. And it also ties into one of my other, okay, this is, this is another idea that I have. I'm just going to roll straight into it. Um, this ties into another one is like, we've had interception rates going down like over time for a very, very long time, along with average depth of target and things like that. So when you're thinking about the value of these things, I always think interceptions are, have kind of been overemphasized, right? The, p- people love TD INT ratio. People love, you know, that's when quarterbacks get pulled, right? Quarterbacks don't necessarily get pulled when they take a sack because it's like the offensive line lets someone go through quarterbacks don't necessarily get pulled when they incomplete a pass, but a critical pass, even, but if they, if they throw an interception, people are like, ah, people, people go crazy on that. So I do think maybe structuring offenses, whether it's these longer passes, where there are other things where we're a little bit more open to turnovers generally and interceptions generally, because if, if the offense is really shifted, if we have some sort of permanent, shift in the offense just think about how you calculate the expected points added on a particular play you look at like how many points you're expecting and if it's an interception then the difference is flipping around on the other side how many points now your opponent is expecting so if both of those numbers are lower than what they would have been traditionally that means the value lost on the play is squeezed from both sides and it's actually less of a loss like a turnover is less of a worry so i think combined with what you're saying is like take more risk to draw these things like pass interference, but it's also throwing downfield maybe into coverage a little bit more than you would have traditionally, even if there is a safety back there, because the downside and the risk is a little bit less than how we're calculating it based upon our expected points, expectations from prior seasons. And to tie it in the pass interference, there's an opportunity that you don't do it correctly. They don't mm-hmm. either. And yeah. you still win versus right. every other plan offense. You don't. Right. Yeah, that, it's that almost the worst. The worst job you do sometimes, the higher likely it is that you right. get it, that you get the pass the, interference. The Colts miss Carson Wentz doing that, right? Like that was a big piece of it, and it wasn't. It was. It wasn't like he was trying to underthrow. 
receivers, but they had a lot of pass interference penalties. I think the two years the Super Bowl uh, winning Giants teams were two standard deviations away, because this has been a big passion of mine for years, is how to leverage this as a, as a, as a tactic. There are two standard deviations above everyone else in, in number of uh, pass interferences uh, that converted third downs, right? And so they were really leveraging that, and the large part was Plaxico Burris, and they had a, a, a way that they, they had a guy that could do it well um, on contested catches. And so, you know, th- these are things that you can now leverage. It's, it's, you're not just playing – and that's what analytics teams have also shown is they're not just playing the odds. They're looking at rules. They're looking at the, the officiating crews that each team has and seeing how they can kind of work within their kind of way that they litigate the rules. Um, and so, you know, it's another aspect of the game to under, understand is you're not just playing your opponent, you're playing within a, a, a defined rule book that, that can be manipulated and taken advantage of. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if we would even go this far, but I, I'd have to check to see whether this is still the case or not. But Michael Lopez, who is now the head of data analytics at the NFL, he had a study a number of years ago that like pass interference, whether it's home or away, doesn't really matter. Like the crowd doesn't matter. What matters is what sideline it's on. So if it's near your sideline where everyone's like, oh, and, and, and asking for it, you're more likely to get the call than the other side. So that's also like something to think about. I know you don't want to overburden people in their in their mind, but it's it's maybe something you think about how you're structuring the routes like from a play caller standpoint and maybe giving a little bit of a hint on there is just like, hey, if we're going to take a shot and we're going to go deep to this guy, even if he's covered, if it's on our sideline, we have a better chance of getting a pass interference call here. When you talk to officials, they don't call it the all 22 angle. They call it the all 29 because mm-hmm. those seven dudes matter, right? Yeah. In high school, we used to run toss only to our sideline yeah. because that was the same thing. You could work that official, right? Yeah. Everyone's human. And, 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 you know, and, and these guys do an awesome job. It's, you know, people rag on officials too much. It's a really hard job. It's a 64-page rule book. They have to know everything. Oh, I'm like I'm like Rob Lowe with the NFL hat. I'm always defending officials, but I just don't like bullying generally. And I feel like right. officials are just the most bullied people on the planet when it comes to social media. Yeah, and I, I think I think what they what they do is is great. Um, but but everyone's human, and that's your job is to trying to crack the human code, and that's what you're doing. Trying to find tells with certain teams, and you're trying to find understandings about where you can get certain things. And there's social hacking that's taking place on the football field, and you have to kind of work that part of the game. Um, I think that's a, a big piece of it. Again, and, and trying to do something and have more diversity in what you're trying to do, I think is the best way teams can increase scoring. Don't try and yeah. run out and do the same thing. You're not going to, if you don't have Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, don't run the same thing as Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, right? Yeah. There, it's, it's not going to work out for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but the whole interception thing though, like it is tough because I mean, let's face it. Like I'm a Jimmy, I'm Jimmy Garoppolo truther, right? And like he throws balls. Yeah. He throws some ugly ones that are obviously ugly. He throws others that are in the middle of the field where you're more likely to get inter- intercepted, but you're much more likely to have an upside. And we see over and over again that he's producing great efficiency, but people hate his guts because he throws these interceptions sometimes. So I don't know, like how do we get more quarterbacks to be willing to do that? I'm not sure. Um, I was even thinking of like incentivizing them, like give them money for throwing interceptions. This is like total galaxy brain. Now, if you want to talk about getting mocked, well, like, well, like hey, say no, we're going to incentivize I, these guys for throwing interceptions. They're not going to want to throw interceptions. So they're not just going to go out there and like, oh, I can collect money by throwing interceptions, but like give them a reason to think about it. You know, it's funny you say that because I almost did that with defensive backs at the mm-hmm. XFL because yeah. what I wanted was I wanted them to jump routes. 
right? Right. Okay. Is, <laughs> yeah. Is if and the stop and go just got better because I'm only paying my guys fifty five thousand dollars a year. So if I paid you two thousand dollars for an interception, that's a big deal. And so if I'm paying you for an interception, I'm thinking about all the interceptions I'm not seeing that's going to influence my game. Right. That that's the other part of it is if you call more pass interference, you're going to see less jamming by the um, by the defensive players, which then will make more open wide receivers. It's not just every call that you make that helps influence the game. It's every call that, that you did not make because it influenced a certain behavior. That's it. So like influences there's incentive interceptions. I almost did the same thing, but just from the defensive backs. It's like how yeah, do I? Yeah, make I mean, it, so it makes more like logical sense to do it that way than it does yeah. for a quarterback. I mean, the people who are mad at me for saying Aaron Rodgers doesn't throw enough interceptions will really be mad at me for that sort of thing. But again, we're it's a safe space here. This is definitely very mockable sort of idea. But I'm just trying to like think of how do you like how do you like shake a quarterback and be like it's okay to throw an interception because a lot of these guys that's again that's how you get benched. That's how you get benched, and you when you've been competing your whole life, you're like part of it is to avoid getting benched no matter who you are. I mean, maybe Trevor Lawrence never had to worry about that, but no matter who you are, guys have to worry about that. I mean, you could do the fourth downs going for it on yeah. fourth downs. I try to incentivize my coaches to go for it on fourth down as much as possible with our rule set, making yeah. punts go touchbacks about to 35 and getting eliminated in the coffin corner, making that a touchback. Right. I still had coaches plot punt plus territory. Right. Yeah. You, yeah. It, I mean, that's it, a good one really too. Hard. Like, incent, like incentivize coaches via contract to go for to go for fourth downs, just but regardless, because that's it's not how they like lose their job. Yeah, it's not like they're just going to shift their whole mentality. They're just going to those edges, which they should have been doing anyway, are going to start to to bleed over. You know, um, and that's what you want in, in a way. So that's that's my other. Idea. What else you got for me? Um, I, I just th- I think it's the, the two quarterback system that we mentioned um, and being ah, willing to kind of quarterbacks. I've been I've been on that one for a while. Yeah, go, go you ahead. Know, and, and just and just trying to do different things, having them on the field at the same time, right? Taysom Hill should not come off the field. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, I don't I don't quite understand that, but again, you have to give some deference to like these guys must know what they're doing, right? I guess one hundred percent. But coaches, coach, coaches. That's my favorite sentence. You learn from a coach from another coach. It takes somebody to go do something crazy in high school football to then get taken somewhere else. Gus Malzahn running the Wildcat in Arkansas at Arkansas High School and then being able to do it as offensive coordinator at Arkansas then happened to be in, in Miami for uh, with Tony Sperano, right? Mm-hmm. There was no strings attached. Uh, we ran tempo in, in 2001 before uh, – uh, Chip Kelly was running tempo at South Lake Carroll, right? Yeah, it, it was. It was. You have to have. You have to have a, a people that are willing to go and do something crazy, and that leads us to Kevin Kelly, right? The never punt, never uh, or always never punt onside kick coach. But Kevin did something different. Is his play calling, right? That was his play, call, and he ran a hook and ladder ten times a game. Yeah, right, and that was a big deal. Is the the whole math on football is you catch the ball, one lateral and then one throw was 99% of plays instead of another lateral, another throw. Well, if you're going to lateral and you're going to practice multi-laterals, now there's different ways to defend. Those are big plays. And you give up one turnover, like you said, it's not going to be a big turnover. Your your players all around the ball if you're doing a lateral so you can make the tackle right away. But if you're going to run more hook and ladders, run more unique stuff, and that comes into two quarterbacks. You can run double passes more. You can run things that then change the geometry of a defense that then they have to account in certain things. This happened to me in college. We had Josh Nunes, pro-style quarterback. Teams are playing the wackiest defense that I've ever seen. 
And then we put him back, back up quarterback Kevin Hogan. At the time, we'd only run split veer and wildcat plays with him. For the next three games, people thought he was a wildcat quarterback. They all played cover four or cover zero. It was like the easiest fronts we'd ever seen because they thought he was going to run the ball. Do that. Have different personnel packages that you do, especially if you don't have the guy at quarterback. I would never say take Lamar out from getting the ball or Mahomes or Allen. But if you don't have the guy at quarterback, be willing to do something unique to differentiate yourselves so the defense is to prepare for something. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I've been, I love that. I've been talking about this whole platooning sort of aspect where it's not one series, one series sort of thing. It's take advantage of, like, if it's third down, if you have someone like Taysom Hill, maybe you can run on like third and five or third and six. But most of the time, these teams are throwing the ball 90% of the time on third and five in these sort of situations. Like, have something so you know on third and long that you want to have a guy who can throw there in other situations you can have a guy who maybe doesn't throw as well who can who can run the ball in those particular types of situations and again it's like you can get cheaper players you don't have you don't have to pay everyone like <laughs> Taysom Hill you don't have to give Taysom Hill contract to everyone to use them in those sort of situations so yeah no I definitely love that as an idea but it gets again it's it's going to break people's brains as far as what you know, if you have two quarterbacks, you have none, whatever the, you know, the situation. It's ownership buying. Yeah. Ownership buying. And then everyone will buy him once you win. Right. That That's, that's how it is. First, you need to get the guy who signs your checks. Once he buys in and if you win football games, then you'll get other people to buy in. And yeah. that, and that's, that, that, that's the order of operations. And so if you sign up and you tell your owner, Hey, I really want to run the quarterback. And he says, no, don't do it. I'm not telling a coach to go get fired. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this was kind of – I think this was actually one of my blasphemous ideas that I had in a podcast over over the summer. And, yeah, I, mean, I think it's not quite the same, but it's kind of like running back in a way where they decided at a certain point, you know what, if we're on a passing, mostly passing down, we should just have a running back in there who can catch the ball better than and not run the ball as well and not going forth. And people get very confused. I always see these things on Twitter where they say like, oh, when this running back is in the game – they pass the ball 70% of the time. And when this other running back is in the game, they only pass the ball 50% of the time. This is a tell. And it's like, no, if you have a credible threat to do the other thing, it's not a tell. It's not like the defense could say like, oh, there's 0% chance that we're, they're not running it here. We're not going to care about anything or vice versa. Like the defense still has to respect the other thing. It's just there's going to be a skew based upon down and distance on what teams are going to do anyway. Teams know like you're going to pass it 80% of the time on third and seven regardless of who your running back is. Right, unless you don't, and you're willing to go for it on fourth down. Those that's are the true. That, 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 changes, that's, that changes a lot of the dynamic that, also. That's, that's my final thing, is okay. ignore the assumed rules of the game. It's assumed after you score a touchdown or a field goal that the other team gets the ball. Learn how to kick onside kicks better. They move the ball up five yards. Now, you, now it's, it's better field position. If you can change the math, from 6% recovery rate to 25% recovery rate, you now have an advantage, right? You all you can double up more. Uh, ignore the rules that you have to pass on third and seven, right? Ignore yeah. ignore these assumed things. Ignore that the quarterback has the same launch point. Ignore two jet, those protections that are the same protections that you've seen. Or, you know, he kept ta- um, they kept talking about turn protection this past weekend. Ignore some of these things. And do some of the things that are out of the norm and be willing to change, willing to get out of your comfort zone. And that's all of what analytics is ultimately trying to say is there is a comfort zone level in football that has been assumed and we're going to push you out of it. 
if you change some of the math, if you change some of the spots in this game, you then will ultimately get better. And that's what that's what I hope people can get out of you know this whole conversation is do something different. Don't just keep bashing your head against the wall. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess it's like the the this quasi uh, uh, Mensa I've shared on this podcast a couple of times. His whole thing was. He doesn't like analytics. He likes just talking about being thoughtful and intentional when you're doing something. Be intentional. Don't just do it because that's what you do. And then you're like, why? Well, because. Like, you don't want to get in one of those circumstances. You want to be like the parent talking to the child and just being like, that's because we do it this way sort of situation, not have something ultimately behind it. Okay, so the last thing that I'm going to mention here is, I'm not sure about this, but I do think a rotation offensively away from the heavy play action Shanahan sort of tree that has populated like it's been more like Shanahan weeds that have now like taken over the NFL where everyone thought they were just going to push this easy button. You're going to have a quarterback play in there. They were going to run play action. They were going to have simplified reads. It would work against this defense. These defenses are kind of put in to shut down this sort of thing. And we've seen the lack of success there. And, we see with teams like what the Bengals have done recently is they've said, we're just going to go from shotgun all the time to counteract that because we want a, I think you can run better with the quarterback as I talked about before out of shotgun. So that's, that's another thing. Like you mentioned a lot of these uh, naked bootlegs actually have worked pretty well for the giants against the Jags, but you know, yeah, that, not, that, that not necessarily. The, you see, see Dan Orlovsky's breakdown of that where it was like power, power, power. And then they pulled the sucker, right? Yeah, I'm talking yeah, about yeah. Th- those plays I love, right? You have yeah. your back to the defense, though, which is a little bit di- different on how you can run with the quarterback. But the the passing boot, like is what I was mentioning earlier, the people hanging hand in those mesh points a little bit differently. But, you know, they ran power six times in a row to run that bootleg. Yeah, yeah. So there's the, the so I'm saying more shotgun. I mean, the Bengals have pretty much exclusively gone to shotgun. You have more quick game options. You can see what's going on. I think the defensive evolution, a big part of what defenses have done now is – and this is concepts that they brought in a lot fr- from college is having these sort of match man coverages where you can't really tell what's going on necessarily having like pre-snap post-snap rotations of the safeties, having simulated pressures up front where you have four five, six guys on the line of scrimmage. And then, you know, anywhere between three and six are actually rushing the passer. This is all stuff where if you're running a play action with your back to the defense, you don't really see what's going on and you turn around and you're, and it could be a whole new ball game of what you thought initially. So I do think maybe skewing a little bit towards that um, a little bit more shotgun in some of these circumstances from teams that are thinking initially that they just run heavily on this. Cause I do think quarterbacks can be, can diagnose things a little bit better with so much movement pre and post snap and so much change on the offensive line. Um, that you can just diagnose these things a little bit better with shotgun. So maybe I'd just say experiment with that for some teams a little bit more. Yeah, and I actually I I, I agree. It depends on which you got, which guy you have back there. Yes. Right? I, I, I you if you're gonna have a guy that's gonna want to diagnose everything and go, run everything from shotgun, a little bit different. You can handle the double mug blitzes way better. Um, we used to cue it to to shotgun if we saw the Mike Zimmer double mug uh, double A. And that's actors. proliferated a lot recently. Also. Yeah. Yeah, over 10 years, and, and I, you know, I think it's fake, especially third and seven. I run QB power on that down, down, around. They give everyone up. It's perfect lines, but, like, I'm not offensive coordinator. But uh, I think I think that um, 
you you can you can you do need to try and manipulate some of what they do. I think you need to have that guy back there to run the full shotgun offense, right? He's got to yeah. be able to diagnose things. He's got to be able to read things. I think running a lot of stuff out of trips. I think a lot of stuff with nub tight ends into the boundary um, is is unique stuff that you can now get um, out of your quarterback or get get angles, get where your quarterback can then work certain sides of the field differently. Um, I think I think it's you know. I think there's definitely an aspect of shotgun. I just get nervous if you try and be a shotgun only team without a guy who knows how to actually read that defense and you're asking him to read everything instead of giving him easier reads. That's going to be the difficult one. Yeah, no, I agree. But you know, again, I'm not a strategic expert, but obviously like in college, they've somehow gotten the inability to read with shotgun pretty much like they, they, they go hand in hand, right? As far as they, they run hot, you know, like there aren't a lot of teams. There are some, which you saw from BYU with Zach Wilson there and others who are running this, this kind of more of a play action heavy type of system there. Um, but a lot of teams just don't have like the fronts, don't have the offensive linemen to do right. that. So, so then they are trying to do like a simplified shotgun sort of thing. So that would be my other aspect. Again, look to these colleges, see what they're doing, maybe bring in some of those concepts there. And yeah, you, you might throw some interceptions too. As I, t- as I said before, yeah. that's going to happen. Yeah. I think, and then like, you shouldn't care how much you lose by, right. As, yeah. if, especially if you're in the rebuilding year, don't care how much you lose by try stuff. I think one of the impressive things about the uh, the Seattle Seahawks, their first year the new regime took over, they like broke the record for transactions, right? Yeah. And uh, you have the greatest you know players coach of all time and Pete Carroll, and then he's the one swapping guys in and out as more than anyone. They broke the record of guys in and out of that locker room. Well, yeah. they're just trying to find whoever would work, right? And I I commend what the Colts have tried to do with their quarterback situation. They're they're trying to get one of these veterans. These veterans were good in other places. It didn't work out, right? But I commend them for at least trying that aspect of it. And they even drafted the, the fifth-round draft quarterback, the unique quarterback who will see Sam Unger this week, right? Yeah. And so, you know, I, I commend what Chris Ballard did trying to solve it in those certain ways uh, and being a little bit different. Yeah, well, you 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 might be on an you might be on an island with that take in light of the curse. Like I said, Philip Rivers, Philip Rivers, low key pretty good. Um, they could have won that game in Buffalo, and they okay. did have PJ Walker on their staff. They had him the whole time. MVPJ. Yeah, well, yeah. Outside of last week, PJ, I don't know. Uh, we'll, 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 to be determined. 90, Ninety-one PFF grade. He had the number one PFF grade. I wonder yeah, who I disavow. Found him. I, I disavow. I disavow. Shout PFF out to Eric Galco. <laughs> in certain circumstances anyway okay so we we fix offenses everyone you hope you have it all written down i'll put it in the show notes we'll, we'll figure out everything there okay i'm gonna let you go here i've enjoyed this immensely you know i always enjoy talking to you sam give me uh like what do you want to tell the people as far as where to find you where to find what work you're doing what they what they should be looking forward to in the near future yeah you can follow me at schwartzstein s i know all of you know how to spell that so that's easy but then um for game day, follow at PV Sports Stats. That is the social handle we use for Prime Video during games. Then we'll often tweet on Sundays and Monday nights. Um, but follow along on that Twitter handle. That's the Twitter handle you'll see pop up on the screen during um, uh, Prime on Prime Vision during Thursday Night Football. Um, Thursday Night Football on Prime. We coverage starts at seven Eastern. Uh, we have Baltimore at Tampa Bay this week. Um, it's going to be awesome. Tom Brady and Lamar Jackson. He called Lamar the future. Uh, up, you're up next when he did his retirement, unretirement uh, social media posts. But 
I think that we have a really awesome matchup this week. I think, you know, we're going to see two of the fastest uh, or two uh, two really fast players on the Ravens offense. You're going to see that pistol offense that should take over the NFL, which somehow hasn't. And then you're going to see Tom Brady on the other side to get in the ball under two and a half seconds. Um, so I think it's going to be really fun. Yeah, we'll see some touchdowns. Hopefully Mike Mike Evans can, you know, secure secure that that touchdown. Um, I want to see yeah. a Patrick Ricard touchdown, a 305-pound fullback. Nobody runs 21 more personnel more than them. No one runs 22 personnel more than them. A 305-pound fullback. He's a big boy. He is a big boy, no doubt about that. Well, thank you so much, my friend. Uh, I'll be talking to you. We'll be tuning in, and maybe we'll get you on here again a few times Sounds before. Do you have any suggest- suggestions from uh, you know anyone list- watching this on YouTube? Leave me some comments. Go ahead and leave it in the reviews, and I will get to that. Otherwise, I'll be coming back on Friday morning for the review of the game. Which hopefully has you know lots of lots of touchdowns in this game, and uh, we'll also talk about mailbag and some other things that are coming up in the NFL season. Thanks everyone for tuning in, and I'll be talking at everyone then. Thanks so much. Bye.